everybody to Transit Church. It's good to see everyone here and just want to reiterate uh, with Jeff, happy Father's Day to, to all the fathers and all those who, who serve as fathers in, in other people's lives. It is a, a good day to, uh, to celebrate that and a good day to remember our Father in Heaven. So before we get started today, I would ask everyone just uh, briefly to join me uh, in a moment of prayer over the message. Father God, thank you that we can be here today. Thank you that you revealed yourself to us, Lord God. Lord, thank you that you, you cared enough about our fallen state to, to send your son to die on a cross, Lord God. Lord, thank you that, that your Holy Spirit has come here to, to teach us, to remind us, to convict us, Lord God, to, to bring us closer to you. So, Father, as we share in your word today, I pray that by your spirit you would speak to each one of us and that we would get the message that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, start with a, with a brief question here, rhetorical. You, you don't have to answer, but maybe it'll go somewhere in your mind. Have you, have you ever tried to teach someone to a person and they just, it just seemed like they, they weren't getting it. They weren't getting it. Either they didn't understand what you were saying, or maybe they just weren't even trying to hear what you were saying. But, you know, you're trying to, to impart some parcel of, of knowledge or wisdom or some kind of skill on somebody, and it's just, it just seems like it's going by them for, for whatever reason. Now, I think that this dynamic really pervades the, the parent-child relationship. I think that it's that it's very prevalent. And I certainly know from my experience growing up that I was exactly that that type of kid. Um, As some of you know, I was adopted when I was five years old. I mean, it was finished when I was eight, but the process started when I was when I was five years old. Um, And now in my own experience, I'm starting to learn that that adopted kids, they bring just just a little bit of of baggage into the into the process. Just a little, not not a whole lot, uh, but enough. Um, and the adoptive parents, for their, for their part, try to, to overcome that, that baggage by instilling values and hope and love into their child. And that was, that was the case for me. Growing up, I was, I was blessed with two great foster parents who became my adoptive parents. And, uh, you know, they really poured into me. My father really poured a lot into me as I was growing up. Uh, he tried to give me the tools that I would need to have a full and productive life. But at the time, you know, five, six, seven, whatever years old, I'm not really running around thinking, oh, my father is trying to pour all this productive knowledge into me. And father, thank you. Thank you for pouring into my life. Uh, Because what I was focused on was fun, gifts, and kind of the what have you done for me lately. You know, that that was my focus. Um, My dad was was giving me what I needed to live well for the rest of my life. But but my appetites were really for the needs of that moment. And today, today is my my 27th Father's Day without my dad. But but thankfully, uh, the lessons that he taught me then have echoed on through my life uh, to this very day. Now, I would say most of us in here long for something. There's something that 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 drives us. There's something that we want. Some of the things that we long for might be self-centered and short-sighted, kind of like kind of like I was as I was growing up. Some other things are selfless and noble. We want to, you know, we want to be helpful. We want to do the right thing. 
We long for things like happiness, security, purpose. Some might even refer to this as hunger. That's an analogy that you hear used all the time in sports, people being hungry for this or that achievement. And I'm, I'm 100% confident that we are all seeking after something in our lives. We're all seeking after something, meaning, success, comfort, or just whatever it is. And I believe that this hunger, that this drive, I believe it's a good thing. I, I do. I believe it's, it's a good thing. I believe that it comes from God. And I believe that it's a hunger that's designed to point us towards God. It's that, that hunger in our hearts for the things that are eternal. But I also believe that at times we tend to try and satisfy that hunger with things that are temporal or, or temporary, which always leaves us unfulfilled. It leaves us wanting. It, in the end, leaves us unsatisfied. So today we're going to continue our series in the Gospel of John that we've been on since February. February that we've been on since since February. And like Jeff said a couple weeks ago, we're kind of in a series within the series looking at John chapter six. Uh, John chapter 6 starts off with Jesus at Bethsaida. He's healing the sick. People are there because he's healing the sick and lame. And then he he feeds the 5,000. Really, it's over 5,000 people that he heals. And then last week, Jeff talked about the story of Jesus coming to the disciples on the water and calming the storm as they were going to, to the other side. And this week, we're going to see the, the crowd of Jews who were Physically hungry, but spiritually starving. They're physically hungry, but spiritually starving. Jesus attempts to offer them a type of food that will satisfy their starvation forever. But their focus is on immediately satisfying their physical hunger. Their focus is on what what kind of blessings can you give me right now in, in this moment? And this episode leads to a watershed moment in Jesus's ministry, which uh, we'll see and talk about next week. Today, we'll see that the crowd believed that that stuff could satisfy them. They believed that physical things could satisfy them. But in God's word through the Bible, he tells us that it's Jesus that really satisfies you. Jesus really satisfies you. So you can open up your Bibles to John chapter six. We'll be starting in verse 22, or you can do a, a few finger punches on your app. John chapter 6, again, starting in verse 22. So today we'll be looking at verses 22 through 59, and I'm going to break the, the passage down into some smaller points as, as we take a look at it. So John chapter 22, I mean, chapter 22. There, don't look for John chapter 22. You'll have trouble finding that. Um, John chapter 6, verses 20 through 27. It's also up here on the screen, and I'll just I'll read it to you. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they followed him, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. 
Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. So the first subsection here, I will call blinded by the worries of this world. Blinded by the worries of this world. So this, this crowd who had just witnessed this miracle where Jesus fed, you know, at least 5,000, maybe as many as, as 20,000 people, they were coming back for, for another day. And they noticed that Jesus wasn't there. So they knew that there was something about him. So they were seeking him out. They went looking for him. They, they, they spent some effort. They carved out time in their day. So it seems like things are going in, in the right direction. But the crowd went looking for Jesus to satisfy their physical needs. They had seen that miracle. We'll talk about it a little bit later. They had seen that miracle, but they missed what that miracle was actually pointing to. Now, when I first was, was studying John years ago, and I saw this, and, and he says, and Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. I thought, man, aren't that, isn't that the same thing? Isn't that the exact same thing? He multiplied, he fed the 5,000, so that's why they're seeking him. So how, how did, and he did feed them. So what's the problem with that? Well, again, the problem is, is that that feeding wasn't an end in itself. That feeding was meant to point to something higher, and, and the people missed it. They were like, okay, this is a guy who can provide for our needs. He can make something in our life easy. So we need, we need to find him. We need to find him and be around him. But Jesus actually came to meet their ultimate spiritual need. And this was hard for him. This is hard for him for, for a lot of reasons um, that, that I won't discuss today. But, but one of them, uh, he, he gets into kind of in, in his next verse. Uh, he continues on, or the, the, the passage continues on. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. So they, they, they latched on to that idea of work. They kind of latched on to that idea of, of tit for tat uh, right away. When, when Jesus tells them don't work for the food that, that is temporary, they're like, oh, okay, so he's telling us to do something. There's something that we've, that we've got to do. We'll make this connection, so we'll just ask him, what do we have to do? To do the works of God. Um, a couple places in the Bible, uh, God talks about what have you given me that I should repay you? You know, God, God doesn't isn't looking for that labor. God isn't looking for us to enter into some kind of relationship by which we do these things. And then he has to commit to to certain acts. But but that's what they latched on to. OK, there's a work that we can do to get this food. So so what is it? And, you know, the funny thing about it is they go from there and they, they ask Jesus, show us more. Show us even more. Are you kidding me? Continuing on in verse 30. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Wow. Wow. So Jesus goes and, and feeds these, you know, five to 20,000 people. 
And then when he says that the work of God is to believe in him who he has sent, they say, well, what sign do you perform that we should believe you? Show us more. Keep keep performing for us. You know, I don't know what the thought is. Just the day prior when he did that feeding, some of the very people who he's talking to right now were there. They saw it. Some of the people who were there on this day, yesterday, they just ate the food that he provided. They saw the bread and the fish and they ate. And now they're saying, well, what, do you, what else are you going to do that, that, we can, that we will believe? The nerve of some people, you know, it's like, man, come on now. The crowds want to know what Jesus will give them again in order to bless him. The manna that they're talking about refers to a physical provision. Even though God was the one who gave the manna to Israel, that manna was not just to satisfy a hunger. It wasn't just to to satisfy them in the wilderness. That manna was a sign of, of God's power. That manna was a blessing that was supposed to lead the people in to following him. That manna was not to be worshiped. That manna was from the one who is to be worshiped. So Jesus, at at the time, Jesus must have been thinking to himself, you know, man, what we have here is a failure to communicate. You know, do you hear the words that are coming out of my mouth? You know, they just, just, just don't understand. So Jesus continues on to teach him that true food is out of this world. The true food is out of this world or the true food is, is not of this world. Continuing on in verse 32, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave the bread from heaven, but my father gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. So again, they're still, they're still thinking about food. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So he's coming out and trying to get them to to pay attention. Listen to what I'm saying. Hear what I'm saying. Back up. The true bread of God is the messenger that God sends. God is sending true nourishment to the spirit, true nourishment that leads to eternal life. And Jesus just tells them outright, I am the bread of heaven. He is the bread of life. But as you see, when the crowd says, sir, give us this food, give us this bread always, they're still thinking about the physical. They're still thinking about the comfort of that current moment, the comfort of that of that current time. And Jesus is trying to give them the food that leads to eternal life. 
He's looking at him and saying, I know exactly what you need on a deeper level. Listen to me. Hear what I'm saying. This is the will of God that that none should perish. I'm here for your good, even though you don't see it, even though you're thinking somewhere else. I'm here for your good. So he continues on. Then the Jews grumbled, grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say I have come down from heaven? What's going on here is, is the people are missing the forest because of one tree. Their desire for that temporal blessing, their desire to satisfy that physical appetite is blinding them to the offer of an eternal blessing. This is also a case of when knowledge isn't power. Their knowledge of Jesus, in this case, is, is not, isn't doing them any good. Because they're looking and saying, well, isn't this the guy that, that we know? We know where this guy comes from. How is he making all of these, all of these promises? Jesus fed over 5,000 people the day before. Now, if you read, if you go to uh, Luke's account, Luke gives a little more introduction before the account. And Jesus was actually healing people even before that. They were there. You know, John talks about how they were there because he was healing. Well, he was actually healing right there on that site. He was healing and teaching the people. So not only did they eat, but they were seeing people being delivered from sicknesses, being delivered from infirmities, all this stuff. No more than 24 hours prior. Eyewitnesses, people that that were there. But yet, because they feel like they knew him and already knew what he was about, they were blinded to what he was teaching. They were asking him to do to do more and more and more. And despite all this, they couldn't believe. And all this goes to show that miracles don't save people. Jesus does. Miracles do not save people. Jesus does. Continuing on in verse 43. Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the father except he who is from God. He has seen the father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So, again, because because they're caught up in the physical. They're they're missing what Jesus is actually saying to him. He's talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. But clearly, just from just from his own words, he doesn't mean that literally. He's talking about believing and he's talking about faith. And he said it, you know, several times in the passage in verse twenty nine. Jesus answered, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent, that you believe, believe in him who he has sent. 
Verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall not shall never thirst. Verse 40, for this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him on the last day. And then in verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. So he's talking about belief. He's talking about faith. This is 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 an analogy that he's using the the eating and the drinking that is is to signify partaking, to be to be filled with, to to look to as a source of nourishment is is what he's talking about. But what how you obtain that is by believing. It's obtained through faith. Now at the end there, Jesus does foretell also of what he's going to do, that he's going to die on the cross for the sake of those souls. Um, In verse 51, I will give for the bread that I will give for the life of this world is my flesh. Jesus uses the, the analogous language to convey God's message. And those who receive the message are those whose hearts are open to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this is this is kind of this is how God operates. Take a look at Matthew chapter 13 verses 13 through 15. This is uh the disciples ask Jesus, you know, why he's speaking in parables. And this is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and their eyes, they, their eyes, they can barely see, or excuse me, with their ears, they can barely hear, and with their eyes, they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. So I'm not going to get into uh, all of the, the, the theological debate of this right now of does that mean that there's free will or does God predestine? What, what is important for us to know is that he's talking about a condition of the heart. The hearts, the, the word um, is translated callous in, in Isaiah, that the hearts being callous, the hearts being hard. He's talking about people closing their own eyes and not seeing. So. While these miracles are amazing physical manifestations, they fascinate us, they, they, they capture our attention, the intent behind them is that there are signs from God that point back to him. Think about it. You can witness all types of miracles. These people did. These people did. And we'll see that some number of them continued to follow. Some number of them fell away. But they witnessed an amazing amazing miracle. And we can do the same thing. We can witness these miracles. We can be delivered from from sickness. We can see people resurrected from the dead. We can see all these things and still not be saved. It's not enough to just just see. It's not enough to to be there when it happens. That's the the lesson that, that we're learning today. 
Continuing on in verse 52, the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can, this, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? The Jews couldn't get past their desire for the here and now. They couldn't get, they couldn't get out of their own way. Jesus was showing them the way to eternal life, but the crowd is still focused on, what are you going to give me? What are you going to do right now that that will obligate me to believe in what you're trying to teach me? So finally, Jesus is Jesus finishes out his teaching by telling them, hey, get over it. Get over it. So they're blinded by the worries of this world. They're wanting to see more. Jesus is telling them the true food that you're seeking isn't physical food, but it's out of this world. We see that miracles don't save people. And Jesus is finally like, hey, you know what? Get over it. You got to get over yourselves. Continuing on in verse 53, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread come down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. So those in the crowd have to figure it out. He doesn't, he doesn't change what he's saying. It, it, he, doesn't, he doesn't make it easier. He's, he's already told them. He's like, hey, all right. So I'm telling you that you can either eat and live or you can ignore what I'm saying and die. Jesus, again, brings up the point of the fathers in, in, who ate the manna in the wilderness. He says they ate that manna and died because miracles don't save. Just being there to witness the miracle doesn't save. And if we look just exactly at Israel, if we look at that Exodus generation, we have to realize that they witnessed some of God's most amazing, miraculous interventions into human history. The, the plagues in Israel, the parting of the Red Sea, manna from heaven, water from a rock, the, the fact that they wandered through the wilderness and their clothes didn't wear out. All these things they witnessed firsthand, but yet all the adults of that generation wandered the wilderness for 40 years until they died because their, their actions led God to say, you're not going to enter into the land that I promised. Think about some of the things that they saw. They saw things that, that are unbelievable. Yet, it wasn't enough to save them because they missed the point. Miracles don't save people. Miracles, what, what miracles do is they bring us face to face with God. They put us into a confrontation with God where we see his power manifested and then we have to make a decision what we're going to do. We have to decide, do we, do we stay caught up in the physical appetites? Do we stay caught up in the physical blessings? Do we continue 
to look to God for what he can provide for us to live in that moment and stop? Or do we look to Jesus as priest, prophet and Lord and believe that he will grow our faith and that he will lead us to eternal life? We have to decide at at that moment, are we going to partake in the bread of life or are we going to do something else? Now, I'll give a quick a quick illustration. Back in 2006, um, you know, I'd I'd already been saved. I was I was had started seminary, but I got deployed to Afghanistan as a, a civil affairs team leader. And through through my time in Afghanistan, um, it was it was really when when Afghanistan was starting to have more IEDs and all these different things uh, up to that point. Afghanistan hadn't been so much like Iraq with the, the roadside bombs or the bombs in vehicles, suicide bombers, things like that. Um, but it was starting to pick up. And also I get there and I'm there for maybe a day or two. And I hear, oh, you know what? The, uh, the Haqqani Network or the Taliban, whoever it was at the time, have put out a bounty on civil affairs teams. You know, if, if there's guys going out doing humanitarian assistance, meeting with governors and all that stuff, we want those guys. So now I'm in country, you know, only a, a couple days. And I'm like, wow, there's a bounty on my head and I haven't even got started yet. Um, so that'll that'll make you pray. You know, that'll, that'll make you pray a lot. So so I did. I prayed a lot. And there's there's three specific instances where I had one of these confrontations with God. Um the first time was at, after I'd been there about five days, we went out on a mission and we were going to go down on the Pakistan border and do some some humanitarian assistance, pass some stuff out. And I'm just praying, you know, God, protect us, protect us, protect us. So the mission ends up getting canceled for whatever reason. I really don't even know what it was. But that next day when we would have been there, there was a, a big ambush. A lot of people were killed and, you know, we weren't there. You know, God prevented us from from being there. Something similar happened again. We were going to a school. We had built this relationship with the school where we're taking them supplies, uh, doing little clinics and things out there, several of them. And me and my team sergeant were talking, deciding on which route we were going to go. And we had talked about going one way the day prior, but we changed. I don't even remember why, but we changed and went the, the back way that day. I was like, hey, you know, let's just let's just rotate it around and, and go this other way. Um, and on the route that we would have taken, they found a roadside bomb that was that was on our route, which would have probably blown up on us had we gone that way. And then finally, another mission that we were going on, one of our interpreters said, hey, there's guys in the dining facility talking about the mission that we're doing tomorrow. So I called back up to my headquarters. They're like, hey, make the call. Do you want to go on the mission? Does it seem like that big of a deal or do you want to cancel it? I'm like, you know what? Let's not go. So we didn't go. But the Afghan government decided, hey, we're going to send somebody anyway. So those guys went to go do that mission and they were ambushed. And three or four, three or four of them were killed. The people were there waiting on us on the time that we would have been there. So when you see things like this in your life, it's a decisive point. You know, it's great. It's great that I feel like God saved my life three times in Afghanistan. But but it's so much more than that. You know, I feel like it's God saying, hey. Pay attention. I'm here doing something for you. Follow me. I'm not preserving your physical life for your physical life's sake, but you have 
something else that I want you to do. And you have a place here with me if you're willing to partake. So I think we only have one answer to the question of are we going to partake in the bread of life or not? And that answer is you must eat Christ and live. Eat Christ and live. The first thing we do is we have to believe in the Son. Believe in the Son. And we've looked at this several times, and, and one day we might even get there to John chapter 20. We'll get there. We'll get there. That's the purpose that, uh, that, jo- that John wrote. John chapter 20, verses 30, verse 30 and 31, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but why John wrote, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's why John wrote the book, is so that we could believe in the Son. It's why Jesus came. John 3.16, Jesus says that, that he came, that God so loved the world, that he sent his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. So that that was his his mission. And then finally, Paul wrote this in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is the gospel. Jesus coming is the gospel. Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you receive in which you stand. And by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance what is also what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. That's the gospel. That's the gospel that, that Christ came that he died, and that he was raised. It's really that, that simple. Not easy always, but it's that, it's that simple. That we believe in the Son and that we seek Jesus above all else. We seek Jesus above all else. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 31. Therefore, Do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Which is exactly what the Jews were saying in the John passage. Or what we shall wear. For the Gentiles seek after all these, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious about itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So, He's saying, don't worry about these things. God knows what we need, and God will provide it in the way we need it, which isn't necessarily always the way we want it, but it's the way that we need it. And I would encourage you to ask God, ask Jesus, ask by the Spirit for the courage to believe and continue believing. Believe and continue believing. One of my, one of my very... Favorite verses in the Bible um, is in Mark 9, 24. Uh, after 
you know, a, a father comes to Jesus and asks him to heal uh, his child. <clears throat> and Jesus asks him, well, do you believe that I can do this? And the father's reply is, I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe. Help my unbelief. I like that verse because I feel like that's where I'm at because I do believe. You know, I believe in what the Bible says. I believe that Jesus went to the cross. But for whatever reason, at times, it, it's, not, it's not easy to, to really connect into that belief. At times, it's like, God, are, are you sure? God, are you just, just help me in my unbelief, God. Faith comes from you. So, you know, as, as you see fit, help me. Like you're talking the other day, help me out. That's, uh, that's one, of my, uh, one of my longer prayers. God, help me. So we have to believe in the Son, seek Jesus above all else. And, and finally, going back to this passage, we have to look past our stomachs. Look past your stomach. May God certainly bless each and every one of us with, with our daily bread. But he doesn't, he doesn't promise to perform for us. Also in, in John chapter 20, I'll flip there real quick. We see that blessings are there. They're available. The miraculous things, they happen. I believe that they happen all the time. But God doesn't promise to perform. So uh, in chapter 20, in verse 27, this is Jesus uh, addressing Thomas. Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here. And see my hands and, and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The lesson there being that, yeah, Thomas was, was able to see that Jesus was resurrected. He proved to him, hey, I, I was on the cross. I did die and I am back now. And you can physically see. But blessed are those who don't see this. So the miracles, they're not a prerequisite. The prerequisite is belief and it's faith. And blessed are those who believe because of the word. We have to be hungry for the food that transcends physical blessings and, and earthly hardship. And, and we have to be hungry for the food that leads to eternal life. So this is an ongoing process for us. It's an on, I know it's an ongoing process for me. Our true life is in heaven with Jesus as he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Therefore, we have to continue to hunger and thirst for his righteousness. So just imagine the, the satisfaction that, that, that you would feel in your life, believing that Jesus is the bread of life, looking for him for all that you need and truly believing that you'll live forever, that no matter what circumstance you go through, no matter what happens, that you will not die. In this life, we're going to experience trials, physical and spiritual. But Jesus has overcome the world and he invites us to join him. Jesus redeems. Jesus restores. Jesus reconciles. Jesus truly, truly satisfies. Please bow with me in prayer. Father, again, we thank you for, for your word, Lord God. Lord, we thank you that you are the bread of life. Lord, we thank you that even when as people, a group of people or as individuals, when we weren't seeking you, that you still sought us 
and made a way to be reconciled to you, made a way for us to know you, made a way for us to have the hope and receive the gift of eternal life. So, Father, I pray that as we leave here today on this Father's Day, that we do look to you as our heavenly father, Lord God, to to sustain us, to grow us, to teach us. May our hearts be soft and open and able to learn what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.